It is good to be with you. Thanksgiving is Thursday. How are you guys feeling about that? You guys ready for Thanksgiving? Okay, like nobody is, I guess. I, we're like, it's turkey and stuffing day and all sorts of things. But I, I would encourage you this week, you know, Thanksgiving is a time, of course, when we give thanks. But I would say even maybe in your mind and in your heart to say, man, the Lord deserves every ounce of thanks that I can give. You know what I mean? Amen? And so maybe this week, even as you are celebrating with family or friends, or maybe you're, maybe you're even having to work, I don't know what you're doing this week, but I would encourage you um, to just really, really think about the things that you can thank the Lord for uh, and just enjoy that this week because there's so much that we can be thankful for. So we are continuing in our series called Jesus. He changes everything about everything. And we just believe, we believe that the more we talk about Jesus, the more it impacts our life. The more we talk about the encounters, the stories, the teachings of Jesus, the more we learn what it means to follow Jesus, the more we actually learn how to live. Are you with me on that? And so we've been journeying through this for a while, taking our time, and uh, it's been really, really good. And this last Thursday, by the way, was a really great day as well. We called it a day with. Some of you came Thursday night. We had a group of ministry leaders here on Thursday morning. And, and the whole heart and soul of that day was, we just want more of Jesus. We want more of Jesus in our church, more of Jesus in our lives. We want more of his spirit moving in, our, in this place. And we prayed a lot that day for revival. And revival is a big word. We've thrown it around here a few times, but we, we, we talked about revival and we prayed for it. And, and today I, I want to get into what I believe is a really intentional step for us as a church. Um, we've been talking about prayer for the last nine months at an elevated emphasis. Now, we've always, we've always talked about, if you're a believer, you talk about prayer. But even non-believers talk about prayer, right? Um, but there, there's an elevated emphasis we've, we've had in our church for a number of months now. And I, I believe God's just continuing to, to, to push us further in, if you, if, if you, if you will. And, and I, I feel like today we're going to kind of talk about something that I, I feel like will be important. Because we, we've prayed, haven't we? We've prayed for people who are who are hurting. We've prayed for people who need Jesus. Some of you have prayed for provision. Some of you have seen answered prayer. We've prayed for healing. We've seen healings. We've seen all sorts of things. We've seen things that haven't yet happened, but we're still praying for. And we are believing that there, there's something happening where the Spirit is wanting to break through in some ways. And so I want, I want to show you something on the screen here, I'm gonna, and it's this word revival, right? Um, because essentially these last number of months, what we've been praying for is what you call revival. And any honest revival, just so you know, it begins within us. It starts within you and me. It starts within the person. And, and I, just, I think there's just something for each of us to understand is that if we're looking for revival and like events, because here's the thing, if I said, hey, what's revival? A lot of us have a framework, right? Like, oh, it's, it's big stadium events, or it's a, a big tent revival, or it's, a, it's a, you know, a lot of spiritual activity happening in a church. It's a lot of people like, you know, coming to know. Yeah, yeah, it could be all those things are part of a revival, but revival is something uh, different than that. Revival actually begins in the heart. I want to I read a quote to you. We're just going to jump into this today. You guys okay with that? Let's just jump, it in, jump into this. This is a quote from a great book on the subject of revival by Arthur Wallace, and he says this, Revival is a divine intervention in the normal course of spiritual things. It is it's, God revealing himself to man in awful 
in his awful holiness and irresistible power. It is such a manifest working of God that human personalities are overshadowed and human programs abandoned. It is man retiring into the background because God has taken the field. It is the Lord making bare his holy arm and the work and working in extraordinary power on saint and sinner. So revival, there's a lot of words, but revival is God's work in us that overshadows human personality, causes us to abandon human programs. It's us retiring into the background so God can take the field. It's the work of God being accelerated in our life. It's God working in you. Let's just say you're work, God, God working in you to, if you are making efforts, let's just use that fact that maybe you're reaching out to a friend. You're trying to impact them. You're trying to share Christ with them. It's God taking your efforts to reach a friend and all of a sudden you have reached 10 friends. And you're like, how did that happen? It's the accelerated work of the Spirit in which your efforts are multiplied and you see the Spirit poured out in a way that's way beyond your own human ability. Are you with me? This is what revival is. And revival is something that happens in the world. It's something that happens in the course of time. But every great revival, and we're not going to get into the history of revival today, but I think I've been touching on it for the last number of months. If you're here Thursday, we touched on it. And if you will be here in the future, we're going to continue to touch on it because I think the history of revival t- teaches us a lot. But every revival is a work of God. It's not a work of man. But it is preceded by people who really want it. It's preceded by people who pray for it, people who are committed to hoping for it in Christ, praying for the Spirit of God to come and be poured out and to be released in an accelerated fashion. So at our core, meaning your core and my core, we should be be longing for revival in our hearts because I think we should all say, I want to see an accelerated work of the Spirit in my life. I want to see God doing something that I can't do, that human programs go fade away. They are abandoned because we want to see God take the field. We should all want that. A heart that only wants his will to be done. And you know what his will is, right? <laughs> his will, we could go on and on about this, but his will is, is renewal, it's restoration. His will is the eradication of sin, which by the way, we should all hate sin. Because God hates sin. And we should hate it. We should want no part with it. And God, God is in the business of his will is saying, I don't want sin in your life, but I also don't want death and disease in your life either because his will is always the renewal and the restoration of all things. And so his will is moving us forward to a place of absolute, total restoration. And in this world, we get to experience some of it. Maybe not all of it, but we get to experience some of it That's his will for us, that he would see every man, woman, and child confess the name of Jesus as Lord. That's his will. And sometimes I wonder, and I don't know if you're with me, we we have these big kind of idealistic sort of things that we say from the scriptures that we talk about, and we go like, yeah, but how does that really happen? How does that that really happen? What What am I supposed to do to see revival take place, not only within me, but to see a work of God work, pour itself out in a city, in a region, in a country? You know, how, how does that really happen? I mean, I really supposed to, because it's a work of God, so we just kind of wait for God to do it, right? But every great work of God is preceded by a group of people who really want it. 
We've said this in so many words, 2 Chronicles 7.14. Um, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now, that's 2 Chronicles 7.14. This, this is when the temple's being dedicated, and, and this, is, this is what's prayed, right? But listen also, this is, this, by the way, if you heard Thursday night, we went through this passage in length, so I'm not going to talk about it much, but there is a heart inside of this. Begins with this core hope, revive me. Lord, begin a revival within my own heart. Begin a revival within my own soul because I want it. So maybe, again, maybe you're thinking, um, again, I, I, I do want it, but I, I don't. And all of us, like, what, what is it that we're supposed to go and do then? I want to look at a few scriptures today that talk about prayer, worship, and the practice of fasting. And we see these in the, in the scriptures that we're going to look at today that these three components are often kind of linked together worship prayer and fasting and it, and it makes sense right it makes sense that they are but I want to talk about this, in, in this idea that within revival that these are not the only three things that are present but these things cannot be absent right that worship prayer and fasting cannot be absent from revival they are part of it they are in many ways what precedes it and so worship, for example, sets the heart right, doesn't it? It sets the heart right before the Lord. We start to understand um, that we, we are not worthy of anything. He is worthy of everything. Uh, prayer draws us in closer to the Lord. We, we are drawn in closer to the Lord through prayer, and we can get into all the things that prayer does. And then, and then fasting, actually, it releases the spirit because we are putting in, if you think about it, we are asking God's spirit to overcome the power of the flesh, Right? And so we're going to get into this. I want to take you to a few different instances in Scripture. We're going to talk about this, all right? So you can turn with me to Matthew chapter 4 if you have a Bible, if you want to look in your phone, whatever you want to do. We'll start with one of those epic moments in Jesus' life. Because remember, we're talking about Jesus, right? And the foundation of this whole thought is through some of the experiences that we are able to pull out of Jesus' ministry. So Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. This is right before Jesus begins his public ministry. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit, which we could stop there and do a whole message on the fact that Jesus was led by the Spirit. How was he led by himself? He's, it, it's just a thing, all right? Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterwards he was hungry, as you are after you don't eat for 40 days. Even Jesus got hungry, right? Now, when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up to the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, well, then throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest, lest dash you your foot against the stone. So basically, they're going to they're gonna catch you. Jesus said to him, It is written again, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again, the devil took him up to an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, i, I got to think that's Mount Everest, I don't know. Um, and said to him, all these things, I was just kidding, by the way. That's not a theological, never mind. All these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. 
Then the devil left him, and, be, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. So this is a powerful sort of epic moment in, Je- in Jesus' life. In the story of Jesus, he's about to begin his ministry. The spirit leads him into the wilderness. Of course, the tempter comes, the enemy comes, Satan comes, and he starts to try and entice him, pull him, tempt him, whatever it is, away from what he's supposed to be doing, trying to get help him or have him give into the flesh, because Jesus, of course, was completely man as he was completely God. And so he had the same temptations that we have because he had flesh. And here he is being tempted by the enemy to give into that flesh. And of course, he's unsuccessful and the enemy flees at the power that Jesus has. So he's been fasting for 40 days. Now, in case you are unfamiliar with fasting, which I know most of us have some understanding of fasting, but fasting has been around in the scriptures from the beginning and it keeps going. You see this practice of fasting happening consistently throughout the scriptures. And then it happens in the spiritual life today and it has a lot of spiritual purposes. And one of them is the fact that we are practicing the ability to overcome. Uh, a lot of times people just, fo- it's a time, a, a way of focusing the mind and the body on the things of God. Maybe that's a simple way to say it. But a little deeper level, it's like I said a moment ago, it's a, it's a way of saying, I wanna have power over the flesh. And, and when I say I, I mean, I want the spirit working within me to have power over the flesh. And so that's, this is kind of what we start to see happening here. Many people fast for one day, one week, one meal, and then all the way up to 40 days as Jesus has done. So I don't know if you've ever fasted, um, but if you have, maybe you have a story to tell. There isn't a specific time period, just so you know, that you have to fast in order to get some sort of spiritual breakthrough. You could literally fast for a meal, and then all of a sudden God moves in your heart and shows you things or does things or helps you in some way and you fast for a specific purpose or whatever it may be. I've personally fasted anywhere from one meal up to a 21-day food fast. And when I did the 21-day food fast, it was, it was something I felt like the Lord was leading me into an extended food fast to be able to depend on him for something that I felt like I couldn't do, but he could do. And by the way, he did do. And and I, and I... I've also fasted, like I said, for a meal or a, a day at a time, just sort of putting into practice 1 Corinthians 9, 27, when he says, I want to discipline my body and make it my slave, right? So that I can go run the race that God has called me to run. Like, I don't want the flesh controlling me. I want the spirit leading me. So fasting is this powerful practice, and it's sort of like prayer, If I was going to tell you what's the benefits of prayer or ask you the question, what's the benefits of prayer? Don't you know we'd have like endless things that we'd talk about? Like it's a transcendent sort of experience, prayer. Like it's not just one or two things that come as a result of prayer. Many things come as a result of prayer. And fasting is similar. It's transcendent. It's not one or two things that come from it. It's an experience in which the Lord uses it in so many different ways because it's one in which you're saying, Lord, I want want to... I want to focus my mind, my body, my flesh all on you and let your power come through. And so something I want, I want us to grab a hold of here, and did I say, by the way, we're just jumping in? Yeah, okay. I was just making sure that you guys were there with me because we've jumped in. You guys there? Hmm. So there's something to grab a hold of here in this story with Jesus in the wilderness. Perhaps Jesus is showing us something as he does. He's fasting, yet when he's tempted, he has the strength to overcome temptation. Makes me think of 1 Corinthians 12.10, right? When he says, when I am weak, then I am 
strong. You know that, right? You know that in your weakness can be your greatest strength. But that's not what the world teaches us, right? It's in your strength that you're the most strength. You have the most strength, right? In your talents and your abilities and in your wisdom and in your smarts, that's where you're strongest. Do you ever, do you ever feel that? I mean, we have a whole world that tells you to find and go live in your strengths. Yet here we have this experience in which, no, it's in your weakness that you find your greatest strength. Jesus had fasted for 40 days. He's completely hungry. He has no strength left. He's sapped, but what does he have? He has the power of the Spirit to overcome the temptation that's coming at him. How many of you guys know that you will find, who, who in here would have the experience, and you have to answer this, but who in here would have the experience of like, in my weakest moments is when I saw God work the strongest in me. It's in our weakness that we get to actually experience the power of the Spirit working in us because then what happens? We realize it's not us. Because if I'm operating only out of my talents, I think it's all about me. But if I'm operating out of my weakness and my vulnerabilities and the things that I'm not good at, but I trust the Spirit in them, well, I start to find the power of the Spirit working within me and working through me. And fasting is a practical way to put that into reality. Lord, I cannot overcome this. I need this in my body, but yet I'm going to trust that you're going to bring something better for me when I say I'm going to deny the flesh and I'm going to trust the Spirit. I'm going to let the Spirit work with work through me. So this is, this is what's going on here, and Jesus is showing us this, and he's modeling this for us, and he's showing us how powerful and impactful this is and how we can actually overcome things. By the way, I wonder how many of us have experienced temptation in life. I read a recent poll that asked that very question, how many of you experienced temptation, and the number hovered right around 100%. I'm just kidding, there's no poll. Um, it's obvious. Everybody experiences temptation. Everyone. And we need the strength to overcome those temptations because sometimes those temptations are what? Our greatest weaknesses. Where do we find the strength to overcome our greatest weakness? So let me ask you a question. What? What is the temptation that you need the strength to overcome? What is perhaps the sin or the temptation of that sin? By the way, Jesus never sinned, but he was tempted to sin. So what is the temptation that you feel weak in and you need the Lord's strength? Today I want you to start identifying that, naming it. Turn with me to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9, we find a story of Jesus again, starting in verse 17. He says, this is a, this is a father, he says, Teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit. And this is going to be a strange story, so just follow me. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. He answered to him and said, O faithless generation, this is Jesus speaking, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. Now, just so you know, Jesus isn't angry. Sometimes we read this and we think, oh, Jesus is angry. He's not, he's not angry, but he's, he's, his heart is breaking that he continues to see the lack of faith in people that he's already shown his power to. Does that sound familiar? 
people that continue to lack faith that he's already shown his power to. I wonder how many of us have seen Jesus' power in our life and how many of us still lack faith. Oh, faithless generation, how long do I need to be with you? What do I have to show you so that you'll believe? Then they brought him, brought him to him, brought the boy to Jesus. And when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed and he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. So he asked his father, how long has this been happening? And Jesus asked him this. And he said, from childhood. And often he has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. So this is pretty bad. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said this to him. Listen, he says, if you can believe, well, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the father cried, of the child cried out and said in tears, which we've, we've read this a number of times over the last number of months. Lord, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. When Jesus saw that the people were running or came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, deaf and dumb spirit, which they are all deaf and dumb. Just, you know, I'm just kidding. I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. Then the spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly and came out of him. And he became as one dead so that many said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. And when he had come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, Remember, they could not cast him out. Remember that? Why, why could we cast him out? Jesus, what's wrong with us? So he said to them, this kind can only come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. Hmm. Okay, so many things to talk about here. This kid was foaming at the mouth. Let's talk about that. No, I'm just kidding. That's freaky. <laughs> Did you notice what he said to the father, which I pointed out while we were reading it, but he said, so the father says, help me with my unbelief. But before he even said, help me with my unbelief, Jesus said, hey, for the one who believes, all things are possible for the one who believes. You notice that Jesus is always trying to increase our faith. He's always trying to raise the level of our belief and our trust and our faith. He's not okay with the dad being, uh, I'm not sure if I believe. He's like, no, 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 I want you to believe. I want you to believe. You need to believe. Then, the cor- then, then, of course, Jesus looks at his disciples, and he says at the end of the passage, this kind can only come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. So what does that mean? I think it means what it means. I think it means that there are some things that only happen by prayer and fasting. This applies to casting out demons, I assume, in this case. I think it applies to deep levels of darkness that you see happening in people that overcome people, that, not, that that's, not gonna over, that's not gonna leave them without prayer and fasting. This applies to a person that you know that is so far from God that it feels like they're never coming back. Do you understand that this dad, the reason he says I'm struggling with unbelief is because he thinks his son can't be saved. He thinks his son is so far gone that there's nothing that can be done. He's not sure if anything can be done. This is his last hope. He's, all, he's lost almost all hope for his son. His son was ruled by the enemy. His son was a lost cause. Jesus says, don't lose your faith. Some things are only possible by prayer and fasting. Don't lose your faith. Some of us have people in our life that they are so far from God, we have pretty much ruled them out. We've written them off. We have people in our life that are like, oh, they've, they've just went off the deep end. They're they're just, they're just so far from God. They're angry at God. They're angry at the church. They're angry at me. There's nothing I can do about it. Jesus says, 
Don't you know that all things are possible for the one who believes? So let me ask you a question. Who? Who in your life needs Jesus? Who in your life needs Jesus that you need to pray and fast for? Who in your life needs Jesus that's like, I think they, I don't, I've tried. I think they're so far gone. Whatever whatever descriptor you would put on them that that some things can only be done by prayer and fasting. And so this is what, that's the name you'd have to write down. I'm telling you, if people spend as much time praying for others as we prayed for ourselves, we might actually see the power of God work in other people's lives. Don't you know that the interceding on behalf of others, the power that's inside of that, I don't understand all the things of the kingdom, but I feel like he multiplies intercessory prayer more than personal prayer. Philippians 2, what does it say? It says, rather in humility, value others above yourselves. In humility, we are humble, right? Are you guys with me? Mm. I'm going to keep saying that because I want to make sure you are. So we pray for ourselves, but we value others above ourselves. We must be humble enough to start praying for others. So who in your life needs Jesus? Turn with me to the book of Acts chapter 13. So this is, of course, after, the, after Jesus, the, the church has started to move and started to advance itself. So I'll just read this. Now, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, Lucius, Manian, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and set them off. The two of them sent on their way by the Holy Spirit went down to Seleucia and sailed there from to, to Cyprus where they arrived at Salami. <laughs> Salamis, sorry. Just making sure. They proclaimed and the word of, the God, word of God to the Jewish synagogues. John, not, I mean, that's kind of a big deal. John's with them too. He was just there as their helper. Assuming it was the same John. I think it was. So here we, here we have the beginning of the story of the Apostle Paul, just by the way. So right after we read this part of the story, it switches from Saul to Paul. So if you're reading the Bible and you're like, hey, when did Saul become Paul? Basically right after the Holy Spirit called him in this moment, he becomes Paul. Kind of as part of his new identity in Christ. Um, so this is the Church of Acts. There are some early church believers gathering for prayers as prophets, teachers. They're coming together. They're praying. They're fasting. They're worshiping, which I love it. They're doing all three and they are advancing the church throughout the Middle East. They're doing their thing, this tremendous sort of radical movement of God that's happening in the book of Acts. And they're worshiping, praying, and fasting. And as they are doing that, the Holy Spirit calls Barnabas and Saul, calls them, and says, I am setting you that direction. That's where you're going. So Barnabas and Saul, the work that which I have called, and it says the two of them sent off, on their way by the Holy Spirit. So we see specific practices and disciplines, if you will, of worship, prayer, and fasting, and waiting on the Lord as the channel in which the Lord speaks and gives direction. 
Are you following me? So let me ask you. We got what, who, what about where? Where do you need his guidance? Where in your life right now are you saying, God, I need your direction? Maybe it's while we worship, pray, and fast that the Lord actually calls and gives us guidance on where it is we're supposed to go. And where isn't always a place, is it? Where is sometimes just a decision? Where is sometimes just a, what do I do here? I don't know about you, but when I am trying to walk in my own wisdom, I struggle. When I'm trying to walk in my own sort of direction and trying to figure things out on my own, I struggle. But it's not until uh, I am I'm walking with the Lord and I feel like I'm being spirit-led that my burden is easy and light. Are you with me? It's pretty stressful to figure out life on your own. Praying and fasting for God's will to be done. That reminds me of the, we all want God's will done in our life. You remember the powerful picture of Jesus in the garden, right? Jesus is in the garden and he's praying. And what does he pray? It says he fell on his face to the ground and he prayed, yet not my will but yours be done. Where do you need God's guidance in your life? In which you're saying, I don't want my will done. I want God's will done in my life. So what if these scriptures, this, I hope this is making some sense to you. What if these scriptures that we just read today about worship, prayer, and fasting, what if, what if they sort of guided us a little bit here? To see purpose in what we actually do when we pray. To see purpose in what we do when we worship and purpose in what we do when we fast. That it's not just as sometimes it's been kind of lifted up, just something we're supposed to go do as a spiritual practice to feel spiritually healthy. You know what that does? Sometimes if we just do these things without a purpose, they just make us spiritually fat. Therefore, we are not spiritually healthy. They just make us really puffed up in our, in our obedience to go do disciplines. Disciplines are not for the purpose of ourselves to feel good about ourselves, but disciplines are for the purpose of actually advancing the kingdom. So when you have purpose in things like prayer, worship, and fasting, you actually do something with it. And something starts to happen not only within you, but through you. And all of a sudden, something starts to break through. And a revived spirit starts to come alive in you. Because you have purpose in your prayer. And in your fasting. And even in your worship. So what if, what if these scriptures we looked at could help us with that? Because when Jesus went into the wilderness and he fasted for 40 days, God used it to overcome temptation in the life of Jesus, didn't he? When Jesus said some things can only be done by prayer and fasting, well, God used it to set someone free that was bound. When Barnabas and Saul and the others were praying and worshiping and fasting, God used it as the channel in which he would release his guidance and his calling in their life. So what if you worship, prayed, and fasted for the who's, the what's, and the where's? What if you filled out this little thing, like it was a little graph for you, and you started writing who's in, and you started writing what's in, and you started writing where's in? This thing sort of looks like a peace sign, kind of, maybe it's more like a piece of pie. Either of them are good. You're either going to get peace or a piece. Are you with me now? For the first time, you're with me, when I said pie. This is a tool that I'm hopeful helps us 
provide some direction for us these next few weeks. Could we worship, pray, and fast with a purpose? Jesus fasted and prayed. And what temptation do you need to pray and fast through? The boy was freed after prayer and fasting. Who is someone in your life that needs to be freed? And of course, the disciples in Acts, they worshiped, prayed, and fasted until God led them. What do we need to be led in and guided in? Where do you need God's will done and not your will? So that's the heart. But I, I want to give us something really kind of a practical next step for us. And some of you might even kind of know what's coming because I have mentioned it uh, on Thursday even. But I want to introduce the next step for us as a church as we seek to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And as we pray and seek for revival, not only in this church, but in our time. It's a time to step further into the river as I am. There's so many different ways we can describe this. Further into trusting him specifically, I think it's time for us to create a practical next step for us of our own worship, prayer, and fasting. And so here's what we're going to do. Um, November 29th and 30th, we're going to do a 24-hour prayer and fasting that we're inviting everybody to participate in. We obviously did 24-7 prayer earlier this year for two weeks of, of prayer. We are taking one day and we're saying, what if for 24 hours we could pray, we could worship, we could fast together as a church body and as a church family for the sake of revival within us, for the who's, the what's, and the where's. We have to give some purpose to it, right? So what if for 24 hours we had laser-focused purpose on what we were doing? We weren't just doing it, but we were doing it with direction and purpose. So we're going to start at 7 p.m. on Thursday the 29th, and we're going to go through Friday night the 30th, ending at 7 p.m., um, and both 7 p.m. times will be a gathering. There'll be a 7 p.m. worship gathering on Thursday night the 29th and a 7 p.m. worship and celebration I'll tell you about in a minute um, on Friday the 30th. Uh, I'm very excited about this because I, I don't know about you, but I want to keep going. I want to keep digging. I want to keep pressing and praying and growing in our hunger and thirst. And So practical explanation of the day is these things, things you see up here. We're going to have 24 hours of prayer. And we're going to sign up in one-hour shifts. And it's very much like we did if you were here a number of months ago when we did 24-7 prayer. There's a big banner on the wall out in the hallway. But this time, since we're only doing 24 hours, it has several slots. And we, we do one-hour prayer because we believe that, um, well, I can't get into that whole message, but there's scriptural reasons that we feel like this is a good, this is a good marker for us, one hour. And you can do more than one hour. You can do more than one shift. You could be here all 24. I don't care. That would be awesome. I dare you, I dare you. I'm putting that one out there. We're going to do a 24-hour fast, commit to a, few, a communal fast focused on what, where, and who. Because some things can only come out and can only happen by prayer and fasting. Practically, if, if you're already thinking practically, I don't know if I can do a 24-hour fast. I just want to encourage you. You never know how small acts of faith and obedience may cause great movement in your life. However, I would say if you're medically unable to do a food fast for 24 hours, well then just do what you can. If it's skip a meal or if it's sunrise to sunset, whatever you need to do to participate, do it. 
And then we're going to do worship gatherings. We're going to have two worship gatherings, 7 p.m. on Thursday. When we kick this thing off, we'd love to have a full room. I'll just say, I, I was hoping we'd have a full room Thursday. Maybe I meant this Thursday. And then 7 p.m. on Friday, we're going to have a gathering. It's going to be worship again, but then we're going to celebrate. And we're going to break our food fast together. Uh, we're going to break some bread. And that bread will be covered with probably cheese and pepperoni or something. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to celebrate together and we're going to party together that night. And I think rightfully so. Part of, part of revival is not just heavy-handed likes. It's celebration. It's, it's fellowship. It's living and experiencing the good life that Jesus wants to give us, the one that is full of life. And there is a serious side to that of dedication and discipline. And there is a celebratory side of that, of living in the joy of the Lord, and experiencing his goodness. So let me circle back for a moment and we'll worship for just a, a minute today to bring some closure to this. What is this about? What's at the heart of this? Can you go back to that? What's at the heart? Thank you. Revival. Revival. Lord, revive me personally. That's what we're saying. Awaken my heart to the things that I'm asleep to. Give me eyes to see the things that you want me to see. Give me ears to hear the things that you want me to hear. Lord, give me the strength to overcome the things that I don't have the strength to overcome. But Lord, by your spirit, I can overcome. Lord, open the doors of salvation to those who are far from you. May we have the faith to believe that all things are possible. Lord, guide us. Spirit, we want your will done, Father, not ours. We want to worship, pray, and fast because some things can only happen through worship, prayer, and fasting. So today as we be in prayer signups, I do want to say one thing about it. We have the big banner on the wall in the hallway. We expect that there would be, with only 24 hours of prayer, I am anticipating more than 24 people. Let's let that sit. That was a word from the Lord which means there's several lines on every hour. It also means that we're not just gonna use our prayer room, we're gonna make the sanctuary near a prayer space as well that day. And we would think that five, 10, 15 people every hour through the day would be a beautiful thing. And so yeah, I'm, I'm sort of putting it out there and I'm sort of saying, let's do this. Let's step in together. Let's pray and fast and worship with a purpose. Let's, let's actually understand that a great work of God is possible by him alone, but God always does great works preceded by people who want it and who do what it takes to go after it. And he sees the faithfulness of those who believe and he does the things that are impossible for us to do on our own. So I would encourage you to begin with this. We're going to have some of that stuff available on the 24th, but there's two weeks until this, and so you might already start working on this on your own. What, who, and where? Because I want to, when I get to that day, 
to have focus on why I'm, I'm fasting and praying. Are you with me? So let's pray now. And then we're gonna sing today as a way of closing this, this time out. Lord, we love you. We thank you. I pray today is, is catalytic in its nature not, and not rooted in anything but your word and our hope in you. And so, Father, as we continue to press further, Father, I just pray that you would lead and guide us. That, Lord, we would trust you with what's ahead, that we would step into the things that you put in front of us, that the opportunities like this or the opportunities that you put in front of us at work tomorrow or with our family tomorrow night or whatever it is, that, Father, we just, we're being mindful of the work that you want to do in us, Father, that it is about what you are doing not only in us, but, Lord, that it would come out of us. So, Lord, we love you. We trust you. We, we, we thank you that, Lord, you, you don't leave us, never forsake us.